Well, it's a joy to be with you in Midland Park. I've heard of Midland Park over the years, and it is a privilege to be with you for these meetings. I'd like to read, please, in the book of Genesis tonight, book of Genesis and in chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, reading at verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt or God did try Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. You notice in verse 3 the seven deliberate actions expressed in the word and, and Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder, and worship, and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand, and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abram his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. You notice again in verse 9 and 10, these seven deliberate actions, and they came to the place which God had told them of. And Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood, and Abram stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Take now, sorry. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son thine only son from me. Again verse 13 and 14 we see another seven deliberate actions and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns and Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son and Abram called the name 
of that place Jehovah Jireh as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen the angel of the Lord called unto Abram out of heaven the second time and said by myself have I sworn saith the Lord for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son thine only son that in blessing I will bless thee and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice so Abram returned unto his young men and they rose up and went together to Beersheba and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba and it came to pass after these things that it was told Abraham saying behold Milcal she hath also borne children unto thy brother Nahor verse 23 and Bethuel begat Rebekah these eight Milcal did bear to Nahor Abraham's brother we do know that God will add his blessing to the reading of his own good word I would like in these three evenings that we are together as the Lord would give help to draw your attention to three altars in our Old Testament that are linked with a divine title you'll notice that this altar that we have read of in Genesis chapter 22 Abraham could call it Jehovah Jireh the Lord will provide. It was a tremendous day in our own life's experience when we came to appreciate that all we needed to fit us for eternity and fit us for heaven was provided at the altar of Calvary. I want you to notice with me then four things about this altar that we have read of in Genesis 22. I want you to notice with me first of all the path to the altar. And then secondly, I want to speak to you about the place of the altar. Four times over in this chapter, we have read about the place. And then you will notice thirdly, the provision at the altar. And then last of all, I want to speak to you about the prospect from the altar. When we speak about the path to the altar, I want to speak to you about that practically. What a practical experience it was in the story of an Abram that led him to this very altar. So when we're looking at the path to the altar, we're looking at it practically. When I speak to you about the place of the altar, I, I want to speak to you about that devotionally. For there are many lovely devotional lessons to be learned in relation to this altar. And then when we consider the provision for the altar... I want to speak to you about that doctrinally. And then last of all, when we think of the prospect from the altar, I would like to speak to you about that prophetically or dispensationally. First of all, the path to the altar. You notice how the chapter commences. After these things, God did try Abram. How many tests he had already passed? What an experience had been the experience of this man before he arrived at the supreme test that we have read of in this chapter. 
I couldn't help but feel that there was first of all for this man the family test. And I find that at the beginning of his story in chapter 12. If you're familiar with that chapter, you will notice that we read that the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out from thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. You notice that statement, the Lord had said unto Abram. This was no fresh communication from heaven. This wasn't something that God was about to reveal to his servant. The Lord had said. The Lord had expressed his mind. The Lord had given this man instruction what he wanted him to do. And I want you to understand, God will not speak to this man again until he had carried out what he's already revealed. That is a very, very important principle in the Christian pathway. Never expect, my brother, my sister, for God to reveal something else to you if you have not carried out already what he has shown you in his word. I think that's what the psalmist had in mind when he wrote those words, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. What does a lamp do? Well, it doesn't show you a mile down the road. But I tell you what it will do. It will show you the next step to take. No matter how dark it is, it will show you just that next step. And when you take it, that very lamp will show you the next step. I think that's what the psalmist had appreciated about the Word of God. It was just a lamp onto his feet. And then as he looked back over life, he could understand not only was it a lamp onto his feet, it was a light onto his path. It had showed him all the way through. So the Lord had said unto him, What was it? Get thee out from thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto the land that I will show them. What have I read? About Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11. I read that lovely statement. He went out. Not knowing whether he went. But as someone else said, he may not have known at that time where he was going. But he certainly knew who he was going with. And so with confidence, he could put his hand, as it were, in the hand of his God. And know that God was directing every step of the way. Perhaps you haven't read Charles Dickens' book, The Tale of Two Cities. But this man, his story is really the story of two cities. In Genesis chapter 12, he turned his back upon one city, Ur of the Chaldees. Men are only discovering today with their excavations how advanced that civilization was. Well, this man, he turned his back upon that, but he got his eye on another city. I'm quoting again from Hebrews 11. Said that writer of this man, he looked for a city. Not only did he look for a city, the word is, he looked for the city that had the foundations, whose builder and maker was God. So he really got the long distance view, and he got a look at another city. Of course, it's not until we come into the New Testament do we really learn what drew Abram out from Ur of the Chaldees. St. Stephen in his great address 
In Acts chapter 7, he said the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he dwelt in Mesopotamia. On one glimpse of the God of glory, weaned this man away from all that Mesopotamia had to offer. And so we see him in chapter 12, passing the family test. You'll notice in that very chapter, when he arrives in the land, he builds an altar and he pitches his tent. And he calls on the name of the Lord his God. But of course, every step of faith will be tested. And the famine came. And sad to say, we see Abram in chapter 12, no longer keeping his eye upon the God that called him out. But he goes down into Egypt. You'll notice all the time he spent in Egypt, we never read at all about the tent. We do not read about the altar. And we do not read about him calling on the name of the Lord his God. Of course, Egypt enriched him. And Lot as well that went with him. And when we come to chapter 13, I want you now to notice Abraham passing another test. If in chapter 12, he passes the family test. I have written over chapter 13. I see him passing the friction test. You see there is a problem now. Because Abram's stock has increased. And Lot's stock has increased. And now that brings a problem. I, I read that there was a strife. Between the herdsmen of Abram's cattle. And the herdsmen of Lot's cattle. You will notice a strife among the herdsmen. You may not appreciate that in a place like this, but there is a difference between a shepherd and a herdsman. A shepherd is a man who is interested in, in feeding and guiding and shepherding the flock. Herdsman's a different kind of a man. He's a kind of a man that you, you find more at the market, where he's herding stock along. He's a man with a big stick. And the loud voice, instead of shepherding and going before and guiding, he's seeking to drive the stock. Well, you'll discover that. It's not often you get strife among shepherds. But oftentimes you do get strife among herdsmen. And what was the problem? It was over grass. You know, that's normally how what strife is about. It's not normally over some doctrinal issue but just a little matter I want you to notice how this man that we have read about how he will deal, deal with this you'll notice he takes the initiative Lot seemed to be happy the way things were, were, were going but not in Abraham he approaches Lot and he says let, let there be no strife I pray thee between me and thee for we be brethren. I, I notice the word is. We be men brethren. What's he saying? We're not boys you know. We're not chill children. Squabbling o o over some toys. We ought to be able to deal with a matter like, like this. We be men. Ah but more than that. We be men brethren. It's not in keeping with a brotherhood. To have strife. And so he says to Lot. He says, if you turn to the left hand, I'll turn to the right. 
If you go to the right hand, I'll turn to the left. You know, Abraham had every right to choose. He could well have said to Lot, Now Lot, you know, God has had communication with me. God has been directing me. And I'll decide where we live. And you can fit in accordingly. He could well have done, done, done that. But I think you could write over the experience of Genesis chapter 13. The words of Paul in Philippians chapter 4. Under a very similar situation. It wasn't there between two brethren. The problem in Philippi was between two sisters. And said the Apostle Paul, Let your moderation, let your yieldedness be known unto all men. Why? For the Lord is at hand. And so Abraham, and so Lot, he lifted up his eyes, beheld the well-watered plains of Jordan. And that's where, that's where he journeyed towards. Would Abraham be the poorer? <laughs> I tell you nay. After that Lot was separated from him, God speaks to him again. He says, Abraham, I want you to lift up your, your eyes. Look from where you are. Northward, southward, eastward, westward. He says, the whole land I'll give it to you. And not only to you, but to your seed. Forever. That's a promise. And God will never break his word. And so, in chapter 13, we see him passing the friction test. In chapter 14, I see him passing another test. I've called that the fortune test. Mind you, it was a big test. I see the king of Sodom coming with quite a proposition. Give me the persons. You take the goods to yourself. But you will appreciate that before the king of Sodom arrived, there was another person appeared on the scene. And that is the priestly Melchizedek. The king priest. What's he doing? He's bringing out to this man bread and wine. It's the first time you get those two things linked together in, in your Bible. Brought out bread and wine. And spoke to him about the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth. I think it's a beautiful picture of what we read of in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy, and find grace to help in time of need. That could be translated, in the nick of time. And I judge that's exactly what Melchizedek was doing. He was just coming out in the nick of time. So that when the king of Sodom comes with his proposition, Abram can well say, I've lifted up my hand to the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth. He says, I'll not take from a thread to a shoe latch, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. I say again, was he the poorer for refusing the treasures and the offer of the king of Sodom? I want you to notice immediately that he refused it. The word of the Lord came unto him. Fear not, Abram. It's the first fear not you get in your life. Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thine exceeding great 
the Lord. You know, Abram may well have thought, well, I, I have been the victor over a, a number of kings. There may be a retaliation now. Oh, God says, don't you worry about that. Fear not. I am thy shield. I'll, I'll protect you. He may have thought, well, that was quite an offer that I turned out. No, said God. Fear not. I am thine exceeding great reward. In chapter 21, he was to pass another test. I've just simply called it the farewell test. I think that was a big test. To send Hagar out one day and his firstborn son Ishmael with that bottle of water and to say farewell. That was a test. But now I come to the chapter that I have read from. Genesis chapter 22. I've called this the final test. Abram had been, as it were, going through the school of God. But the big test came. And let me say, my brother, my sister, it didn't come early in life. It came near the end of the journey. You know, all the tests of the Christian pathway do not come at the beginning. There may be tests at the beginning. You know, in the story of a Daniel, Daniel was something like 90 year old when he had to face the den of lions. Oh, I know it. As a youth, he purposed in his heart. He would not defile himself with the king's meat. But the big test came near the end of the journey. So it was with this man. After these things, after a whole life of passing one test after another, after these things, God did tempt. The word really is, God did try Abraham. You know, the devil tempts us. And he tempts us to bring out the worst. And oftentimes he is successful. But let me assure you, God tries his own to bring out the best. Job experienced that. Said Job, when he hath tried me, when he hath put me through the fire, I shall come forth as gold. And here's another man going to do the same. What a test. Take now thy son, thine only Isaac, whom thou lovest. Get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him up as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains that I will tell thee of. I want you to notice, God says to him, Abram, I want you to take now. So God tells him when. Not in a month's time, not in a year's time. He said, this is something I want you to do now. Take now thy son. So God is not only telling him when. God is telling him who. Take now thy son, thine only Isaac. And the word really is, thine own darling Isaac. Thine own unique Isaac. Whom thou lovest. So God has told him when. And now God is telling him who. 
And then God says, get thee into the land of Moriah. So God is telling him where. And he says, offer him up as a burnt offering. What was that? Keep nothing back. Consume him to ashes. Put them all on the altar. So you'll see that God has told them when. And God has told them who. And God has told them where. And God has told them what. You will notice with me that there was something God never disclosed. God didn't tell him why. God doesn't always do that. What a test then. He was asking Abram to put the dearest object he had. To put it all on the altar for him. The test of faith. I want you to notice. Not only the test of faith. But the triumph of faith. What have I read? He arose early. In the morning. Without a calm, without a doubt, to do exactly what God asked them to do. I see in this chapter as well not only the test of faith and the triumphs of faith, you'll notice with me the testimony of faith. Well, might God say to this man, because thou hast done this thing, that in blessing I will bless thee. The path to the altar. I want you now to notice with me, secondly, the place of the altar. I've mentioned already that four times over in this chapter we read about the place. And I cannot help but feel that there are four places really standing out in this chapter. I can see in this chapter Gethsemane in a devotional life I can see Gethsemane I can see Gabbatha I can see Golgotha and I can see in this chapter the garden tomb you say Gethsemane where would you find Gethsemane in Genesis 22 I think of the language of this chapter abide ye here with the ass I and the lad will go yonder and worship. I want you to notice in this passage there is a here and there is a yonder. And so there was in Gethsemane. I think of the language of the Lord Jesus in the secret precincts of Gethsemane. Did he not say to the young man abide you here while I go and pray Yonder. So not only is there a here and a yonder in Genesis 22, but there certainly is a here and a yonder in Gethsemane. You will notice that it's only when the young men are left to the one side. It's only then that the son begins to open, his heart, open up his heart to his father. And what is Isaac going to speak to his father about? He's going to speak to him about the fire. And he's going to speak to him about the wood. 
Is that not the language of the Lord Jesus in Gethsemane as he speaks to his Father? As he, as he thinks of the fire of divine judgment. As he thinks of the wood, the often load and burden that he must carry. Well may he say, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. What a question Isaac would ask his father. My father, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? What an answer he got. I think it's one of the greatest statements in our Old Testament. My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. You'll notice Abraham didn't say to his son, My son, God himself will provide a lamb for the burnt offering. Though that's true now. You'll notice he didn't say, My son, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering. That is absolutely true, but that's not what he said. He said, My son, God will provide himself. A lamb for a burnt offering. That is Calvary in all its fullness. God was providing himself for none less than God himself. Whenever satisfied the requirement of God. God was providing himself. We sing rightly when we sing. No angel could my place have taken. Highest of the high though he. Nailed to the cross, despised, forsaken, was one of the Godhead three. The place called Gethsemane. I see in this passage the place called Gabbatha. For I have read about Isaac being bound. You know, three times over they bound the Lord Jesus. John chapter 18 we read that they bound him in a garden and they took him to Annas. And if you read carefully that chapter, you'll discover that they bound him the second time and they took him from Annas to Caiaphas. And then they bound him for a third time and they took him from Caiaphas to Pilate. But I see as well in this chapter, not only Gabbatha, I can see in this chapter a lovely picture of Golgotha. You'll notice along the journey, we read about the wood being laid upon Isaac. To think of the son carrying the wood to the altar. Isn't that what we read in all its fullness in Genesis 9, sorry, in John 19? We read of the Lord Jesus, and he bearing his cross went forth. What's he doing? Carrying the wood. He bearing his cross went forth. Unto a place. Called the place of a skull. Which is called in the Hebrew. Golgotha. And then what do we read? Where they crucified him. What have we now? Oh not, not the wood on the sun. But the sun on the wood. That's what we have in Genesis 22. We think of Isaac not only carrying the wood, 
But then we have read about Isaac on the wood. It was one thing for him to carry the wood. It was another thing for him to be on the wood. And so for the eternal Son of God, what a journey it was to carry the cross, to carry the wood out to Golgotha. The hymn writer put it like this. Is this the man? Can this be he? The prophets had foretold. Should with transgressors numbered be. And for my crimes besold. O lovely sight. O heavenly form. For sinful souls to see. I'll creep beside him as a worm. And see him die for me. O to think not only of the son carrying the wood. But to appreciate something of what it must have meant. For the beloved son to be upon the wood. But I said we could see in this chapter as well. Not only Gethsemane and Gabbatha and Golgotha. I see in this chapter the garden tomb. For I read in Hebrews chapter 11. The divine commentary on this very chapter. I read this. Abram received him. Received Isaac. As in a figure from the dead. And so I see Isaac not only on the altar, I see him now on the other side of the altar, alive. And what a message it was from the tomb. When those women came on that Sunday morning to hear the message, you seek Jesus of Nazareth. He is not here. He is risen. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. The place of the altar. The provision for the altar. As Abram stretched forth his hand and took the knife, you know, I don't think he ever raised the knife. I, I know I've heard my brethren graphically describe the knife up and ready to, I don't, I think as soon as Abram's hand touched the handle, as far as God was concerned, the deed was done. Just as he took the knife, that was enough. Heard the voice from heaven. You, you see, my brother, this evening, God spared Abram's heart. The pang he would never serve, spare his own. God who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. And the voice is heard, Abram, Abram, lay not thine hand upon the land, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. Abram looked behind him. Behold, a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. You notice it had been there all the time. A ram caught in a thicket by its horns. That's a very rare thing. We have worked long enough with sheep to know that. Normally a sheep is caught in the thicket by its fleece. Goes into the thicket just to get the little fresh bite of grass that's sheltered. And as it goes into the thicket, it gets caught by its fleece. And the more it goes in, the more it gets entwined in, in the thicket until it gets entangled. But, but this, this sheep was caught by its horns. Well, 
The horns are a sheep's power and strength. It would be a rare thing for a sheep ever to be caught in a thicket by its horns. But why was this sheep held in such a fashion? I judge for this reason. If you took a sheep, particularly a lamb, caught it by its fleece and lifted it up on the ground and set it back down again, when that sheep would be killed, do you know what you would discover? Two blemishes on its flesh. Two blemishes on the carcass just where the fleece was put. You see how God guards every type of a son. If this ram had been caught in the normal way, by its fleece in the thicket, when it would have been put on that altar, it would have been absolutely full of flaws, absolutely full of blemishes. I say again, God guards every picture of his blessed son. When this ram was put on the altar, it was on the altar without a blemish. For it was a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus. The one that Peter spoke about as the lamb without blemish and without spot. It is of course the chapter of the double type. The lamb has to die. A beautiful picture of Christ in his death. But Isaac on the other side of the altar... The man that had been on the altar and bound to the altar and laid on the wood is now alive. He is a lovely picture of Christ alive, Christ in resurrection. Of course, there are many chapters like that in our Bible. I only mention one to show what I mean. I'm thinking of Leviticus 14. The day of the cleansing of the leper. Many things happened that day, but... God instructed the leper. He he was to take two birds. The word really is two sparrows. One was killed in an earthen vessel. That is a lovely picture of the Lord Jesus in Jamanada. Confined to an earthen vessel. Taking upon himself humanity with the purpose of dying. And so that first sparrow... It was killed in an earthen vessel. A beautiful picture of Christ in his death. And you say, what happened to the other sparrow? It is called the bird alive and clean. Its wings were dipped in the blood of the sparrow that was killed. And it was let go in an open field. The one telling me about Christ in his death. The other telling me about Christ in resurrection glory. And so you can see it takes the two, as it were, to complete the picture. In Genesis 22, the ram in its death, Christ in his death. Now Isaac, alive, Christ in resurrection. Said the Apostle Paul in Romans 4 and 25, he was delivered. For our offences, he was raised again for our justification. What a day it was. I I oftentimes preach this in the gospel. What a day it was for Isaac 
To learn another one, one wonderful truth. It says of Abram, of the ram, he took the ram and he offered it up in the stead of. Isn't that substitution? In the stead of Isaac, his son. I trust we all have appreciated that. That though death seemed to be our portion, there was another offered in our stead. Said Peter in First Peter 3 and 18, Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just, for the unjust, on behalf of the unjust, that he might bring us to God. But you'll notice now the prospect from the elder. It's interesting in this chapter that brings before us so beautifully a picture of the Lord Jesus in his death and the Lord Jesus in his resurrection. What's the very next thing we read about? A birth. Ere we get out of this chapter, we read about a birth. It's the birth of Rebecca. In other words, the birth of a bride for the man that had once been on the altar. Isn't that the divine order? I have been enjoying very much some time ago the, the or orderliness and the beauty of the way these chapters come. In Genesis chapter 21, we read about the birth of Isaac. And there are many links, if you look at them, many links between the birth of Isaac and the birth of Christ. You know, his birth, Isaac's birth, was announced a long time before it ever happened. So with the Saviour. You will notice that Isaac is one of seven men in our Old Testament, sorry, seven men in our Bible, whose name was given to them before they were born. The last is Christ, the seventh. That's a little study for you now, a little home, home, homework. You can fill in, in the rest. I've given you two. So Isaac was named long before he was ever born. There is only one thing that we're told about Isaac between his birth and the altar. That's the day he was weaned. And of course there is that one instance in the story of the Lord Jesus. As a boy of twelve, the only instance we get between his birth and he stepped out in public service, going up as a boy of twelve to the temple at Jerusalem. And when I come to chapter 22, as we have noticed, in Isaac we have a beautiful picture of Christ in his death and resurrection. What's the next event? The birth of Rebekah. And that brings us to Acts chapter 2. The birth of the church. What a momentous day that was in the history of the world. When the Holy Spirit descended. descended. And we have that great day, the commencement of the church. That brings me into chapter 23. What do we read in Genesis 23? The whole chapter is taken up with a death. It's the death of Abram's wife Sarah. And in Abram's wife set aside, I believe that is a picture of the nation of Israel set aside. For Israel has been set aside today. But what do I read in chapter 24? I read about 
the finding of, of Rebecca and the winning of our heart. And when I come to the end of Genesis chapter 24, I read about Isaac. What's he doing now? The last time we read about him, he was just on the other side of the altar. But what do we read about him at the close of Genesis 24? It says, Isaac came out by the way of the well Leheruah. That word Leheruah means the well of him who liveth and seeth me. I'm glad to tell you that the one that was on Mount Moriah, he lives. That's his supremacy. And he sees. That's his sufficiency. And he's coming out. You will notice that when Isaac came out, he didn't meet Rebekah at her well. Nor did he meet her at his well. He came out by the way of the well, Leheruah. And that brings me to that wonderful truth of 1 Thessalonians 4. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. He's coming out to meet us. It's an interesting few verses at the end, end, end of that chapter. I read of Isaac. He lifted up his eyes. And behold the camels were coming. It says of Rebecca, Rebecca lifted up her eyes. And she saw Isaac. I say, my brother, my sister, that will be a tremendous moment, you know. What a moment it was for Isaac to get his first glimpse of her. He'd heard about her. Father had spoken about her. The nameless servant had went to find her. But now he gets... His first glimpse of her. And what a day for Rebecca. And what a day for you and I. When we get our first glimpse. Of our true Isaac. It says of Isaac he took her. Into his mother Sarah's tent. And she became his wife. And he loved her. It's a second reference in our. Old Testament to love. The first we have read. In our passage. In Genesis 22. It's the love of a father for a son. Take now thy son, thine only Isaac, whom thou lovest. But the second reference is the love of that same son for the bride of his heart. What happens next? After Rebecca is brought in to share the love and the fellowship of her Isaac. How does chapter 25 begin? Then again Abram took a wife. And her name was Keturah. And in that I see Israel taken up again. For there is a glorious future for that nation. After the church is complete. And brought in to share the glory of our Saviour. God will just take up his dealings with the nation of Israel. Where he left off. So I do trust we appreciate not only the path to the altar. And the place of the altar. And the provision for the altar. But don't forget, there is a wonderful prospect from the altar. Our true Isaac is coming out to take us in. Shall we pray?